May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Let the church say, Amen. The element of surprise is perhaps the most effective weapon in warfare, regardless of the age or the other weapons that are employed. This is why scouts and spies are so important uh, for military strategy, both as defense so that you can try to suss out what the enemy is doing so that you don't get surprised, and so that you might be able to identify weaknesses in their work so that you could create surprise yourself. Many of the battles that we are most mindful of in history, uh, we are mindful of them because of the success that comes from surprise. In the ancient world, there's the Battle of Troy with the Trojan horse, right? The Greeks pretend to give this uh, dramatic peace gift that in fact is a way to get their soldiers inside the walls of the city so that they can defeat the Trojans. Uh, the Visigoths actually do something similar in the early 5th century in Rome. Uh, there are some slaves who are either hungry or treacherous. Uh, there's historical debate about which. But either way, they let in Rome's enemies into the back gate of the city, and they enter into the city, and the walls that once were an advantage to keep people out are now a disadvantage that keeps them in, such that they're easier to defeat, and they're not prepared. We see it in the classical world far back in history. Uh, we also see it in our own experiences of defeat and loss that we continue to mourn, like we experienced last week on September 11th and the 20th anniversary of that, like Pearl Harbor, uh, where it was not expected uh, that we would have this attack offered upon us. It's also been a source of success for the United States, like when Washington crosses over the Delaware unexpectedly in terrible conditions to refeat to defeat uh, German-Hessian mercenaries um, in a way that sets the tone for the possibility of defeating this British professional force uh, as a part of the American Revolutionary War. Surprise is perhaps the most effective weapon in battle, regardless of the age or the other technology employed. And surprise can be created by uh, by a time where, that our, our natural defenses are down just because we're, we're doing other natural distractions, the rhythms of sleep, of eating, of festivals, of meals create room for surprise because we are focused on other things. And it can also be manufactured by strategy. This is what happens when generals send in just a small portion of their army expecting the enemy to think it's the whole army and then they retreat back to a different battleground that's entirely unexpected to the people who thought they were on offense but find themselves on defense. This is the way that surprise works. Sometimes with natural distractions, sometimes with created distractions and diversions so that you can surprise the enemy. What I want you to think about is the way that everything we've talked about over the last few weeks through Ephesians 3 and 4 and 5 have been Paul telling us the ways that we can get distracted from the core mission of Jesus that he described to us in chapters 1 and 2. That Paul has been laying out for us the ways that we can get pulled away 
from an awareness that the enemy does lurk, that the enemy is ready to pounce. He talked about fornication and impurity and greed. He talked about leaving behind your complacency and making the most use of the time. Not as those who are unwise, but as wise. He talked about setting aside anger and malice. He talked about focusing on the Lord above all else. He talked about the ways that we're inclined to misunderstand our relationships of authority within the household and otherwise. That in the course of marriage, that in the course of daily life of raising kids and dealing with household servants, that we might lose sight of who we are underneath the perspective of the Lord. That everything we do, we are to do it as unto the Lord. And all of these things put us in danger of falling back into who we were before. He says, don't live any longer as the Gentiles do. Because when you did that, you were dead to God and you were vulnerable to the wiles of Satan. So this work that he's doing now in this text, it, it sets us up to summarize the whole letter that he's written so far. This is the climax of the letter where he summarizes what he's already said to us and brings it home for us in a way that crystallizes it. He says you need to be attentive. You need to know the enemy. Don't be confused about who the enemy is. Because knowing who the enemy is is the most important task. Put on the full armor of God, he says. Even before he says that, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of the Lord's power. He uses words for strength three times in one verse. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. And as he says that, we should pay attention to the fact that he doesn't say be strong in yourselves. Pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. Make it happen yourself. Do all the work yourself. He says, find the strength that is in Jesus. And know that your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the neighbors who are sitting in your pew. It's not against the people who think differently than you on social media. It's not the people who watch the different news sources than you. Your struggle is not with your neighbor. Your struggle is with the powers and principalities of the heavenly places that get wrapped up in this one picture of the evil one, the diabolical one, the devil, who's working for destruction. All the powers of darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the battle that Jesus has already won fundamentally on the cross. The war is over. Jesus has won it. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Rest in that. One thing students of history will know is that sometimes even though the war is over, there are battles that still happen because news didn't get fast enough to the furthest battlefronts. And those are the most heartbreaking casualties of all of the war. It didn't have to happen. And yet the battle rages on even when the war is over. 
And this is the kind of battle that Paul is preparing us for. The war has been won by Christ in a final way on the cross, but the effects of it have not fully worked its way out in the world for us. So he says, you need to be ready for an attack. You don't need to be surprised by it when, he co- when it comes. You should be prepared by knowing the strength of the Lord and the strength of His power. And you do this by armoring up. And the first thing that he mentions is the belt of truth. You may remember that in chapter 3 he talks about truth. Maybe it was chapter 4. He says, you know, to speak the truth in love. To let the truth build up the whole church, he says. The truth is what holds all of it together. And if we get caught up by lies or in sharing lies and misinformation and disinformation and all of those things, if we misidentify the enemy, we are not cinched together with the belt of truth. And then he talks about all of this protective gear that he gives us. I suspect if Paul were writing this now, he'd be taught, he'd use the imagery of personal protective equipment for the virus rather than for war. We have these images, a a breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation. All so that you can do the work of traveling on your feet, which are prepared to proclaim peace. It's a strange thing to introduce ideas of peace when you've just told people to put on armor and prepare for battle. And he gives us one weapon for offense, one sword that we are to use the Spirit, the Word of the Lord. This is what the armor of the Lord looks like. A shield of faith. A helmet of salvation. A breastplate of righteousness. A belt of truth. Shoes preparing us to offer a message of peace. And one offensive weapon the Word of the Lord. Now, if you remember what Ephesians and the rest of Scripture says about the Word of the Lord, if you go all the way back to Genesis, what does the, Lord, the Word of the Lord do? It creates. The Word of the Lord recreates. If we read John, the Word of the Lord has come in the flesh to save the world and to make it new. In Christ, there is a new creation. Even the offensive weapon is one ultimately that builds up not one that destroys. The ways that Christians most faithfully destroy their enemies is by welcoming them into the family, converting them into the life of the Gospel, into the family of God where they can be full heirs along with us. That's how the sword can be accompanied with shoes, peace. And this imagery that Paul uses It sums up the whole logic of the letter that we've been reading since Easter. He starts the letter by saying, you've been saved by Jesus. He frames that in a cosmic way that Jesus is gathering everything up into Himself. And then He frames it in a personal way that you, as individuals, were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. And by grace through faith, you have been made alive in Christ Jesus. You've been made righteous so that you could do good works that God has prepared for you beforehand. And you've been made members of one 
body with Christ as its head and all of us as members with our individual tasks. You've been saved by Christ in a universal way that Christ is saving the whole world in a personal way that this is applied to you as you've experienced it in faith. You've received the righteousness that comes with salvation because Jesus is making you holy. And as you think about all of those things, as you think about what it means to be Christ's body, you might think about this armor a little bit differently. Not just armor that you are putting on for yourself as an individual, but armor that protects the body of Christ, church. That each member of the body of Christ is protected by these things which the whole body holds in protection of Jesus. And each of these things that protects us comes from the same One who has connected us to one another and to Himself. The same One who has already saved us. What's the shield? It's faith. What does faith bring us? Grace that leads us to salvation. What is righteousness? Which is the breastplate, but the outflowing of that grace in our lives as we do what God has called us to do. Leaving sin behind and living in the way that God has called us to live. The things that protect us are the same things that have knit us together and the same things that have saved us. We've been saved by Christ. We've been connected to Christ. And now we are protected by Christ. So that as one body, protected by faith and salvation and righteousness, we can head out into the world prepared to share a message of peace and prepared to wield the word of the Lord for the purpose of salvation of others. There is a battle. There is a battle. There's no doubt about it. Paul closes his letter. He begins the closing of his letter by saying, don't forget that it is easy for you to get distracted. And when you're distracted, you can get surprised. So pay attention. Pay attention. And it turns out that the whole letter has been a rallying cry. It's been a motivational speech for the church, like a coach might give at halftime to his team that's tired and weary. He starts by saying, remember the inheritance that's waiting for you. We have really important work to do. We are going to win. And then he walks through what that looks like. And then he walks through what that doesn't look like, that we can't get distracted by infighting, that we can't dis get distracted by pursuing our own personal pleasures against what is good for the whole body, that all of our gifts should be used for building up one another. And then he closes by saying, look, we've talked about all these good things and we've talked about what can rip us apart, but it's going to be hard. The work that is before you is hard. And you need to be prepared for it. But God has given you everything that you need to continue the mission. So be prepared for battle. Know the enemy. Don't be surprised. Fight together. 
and cling to the inheritance that you know is coming. Because though you might have to fight the battle, the war has already been won. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power, not of your own might, but in His, and we carry forward. Let's pray. Oh Lord, You know how easily we are distracted. You know the ways that we have failed to remember the faith that You have given to us that has gifted us with salvation. You know how much we neglect taking on the breastplate of righteousness in our own lives. You know how little we know the Word, which makes it hard to wield for the edification of Your people. You know, O oh Lord, all of the ways that we fall short. And still, still You saw fit to send Your Son Jesus to die for us. Not clothed in armor, but killed by those who were. And now You tell us to follow in His way. Taking on armor not of the world's battles, but of Yours. Confident that we won't win of our own strength any more than Jesus did by conquering Rome's armies. But by following You through whatever You take us to, even death, confident that there is life and resurrection and glory and riches beyond our wildest imagination on the other side. Strengthen us, O Lord. Give us the strength that we need to put on the full armor of God so that we can carry on in the battle and continue to spread your message of peace in a world that has found itself at war in every possible way. Make us messengers of your gospel, we humbly ask, O Lord. Amen.